All right. Well, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're, we're going to look at one verse in Isaiah chapter 7, and then we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 1. Um, if you've got the, the Bible app on your phone, then you know I've got these verses set up. If you go to the events tab, you can just follow right along in there. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at this phrase within the Apostles' Creed, and I'm going to try to be as quick as I, I can. And so, no, no, it's all right. We're, I had a feeling that this story was going to be good, and it, it speaks in and of itself. So this is fortunately a pretty easy one for us to go through here. So we're looking at the phrase, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And of course, this is in reference to Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, the Son of God, our Lord. And so um, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. First of all, the, the reason that this is an important statement for us to believe and understand is because Jesus had to, if he was going to be the Messiah, he had to fulfill the predictions made about him by the prophets. He had to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so in Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, there's this one verse here that, that speaks to this. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And so God was saying, I'm going to send someone, and here's going to be the sign that this is the one I'm sending. This is the one to look for. A virgin will conceive and bear a child. And obviously, that should be a big marker that we would look for, because that is not the way that childs usually come, right? right? Children have to have a mother and a father, and if she's a virgin, then this should not be able to happen. It is a mark that Jesus was divinely created here. And it says, she will call his name Emmanuel. And that word is translated as God with us. And so, the, the fact that he is born of a virgin indicates the reality that he is God in the flesh. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, in chapter 1, it, it tells us that Mary had a visitor uh, who, who gave her instruction and told her what was going to happen in her life. And, and it says now in the sixth month, and just so you know, the sixth month is not June like it is right here. He's talking about uh, Mary's cousin Elizabeth. She had uh, been an older woman who had never had a child and <clears throat> was told that she was going to have a child. And the angel told her, and sure enough, she conceived, and then she was pregnant. And for five months, she kind of kept it a secret because I don't know exactly why, but she, she was quiet and she just thanked the Lord for it. But it says in the sixth month of her pregnancy, it says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And so Jesus is the Son of God. He was not conceived the way that you and I were conceived. He he had no earthly father involved in his conception. It was God and through the Holy Spirit working in Mary that she conceived this child, Jesus. And that is a mysterious and miraculous and amazing way that God chose to put on flesh which was essential for you and I. We needed a Savior who could take the penalty of sin that we all deserved and then give us the righteousness that He had earned. The right standing before God. Tied up in this, and I don't... I really want to go into this with, with folks, but I don't have a whole lot of time to, to do that. And not just today, it's just like, this is like a whole sermon series in and of itself. But I don't know if you've ever seen an image kind of like this. We've hinted at it a few times, and we'll probably hint at it more because it's all tied up in this Apostles' Creed, is the fact that we serve one God who has three persons involved. One God Three persons. And, and so we see here this, in this diagram, if you're looking at it here, it says it has the Father at the top, the Son down on the left side, the Holy Spirit down on the right side. And it says in between them is God in the middle. So it says you could read that as the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And then around the outside, you'll also see the Son is not the Father. You see that? If you started the Holy Spirit, you see the Holy Spirit is not the Son and vice versa. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And so there is a distinction between the three, and yet they are all one and the same. The idea here that's so important for us to understand is that they are co-equal with each other. That these distinctions that we make are not a distinction of essence. Jesus is essentially God. In his essence, he is God. He wasn't conceived by man. It was God through his Holy Spirit that came upon Mary and worked in her body in a way that she miraculously conceived to bear a child. So Jesus was, in his very essence, God. He is is different than the Father, but that difference is not a difference of essence. He is different just in, in the smallest way of person, personhood. It's a subsistence or subs, subsistentive difference, they say. These are really complicated words and phrases that philosophers have had to make up to describe this stuff. Um, but it's, it is a, an amazing thing. We don't serve three gods. In other words, we don't serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as if they are three separate entities. We, we don't do that because they are one in the same. And so we can see that at work in these, in these scriptures here where it says, again, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. It is all three in one, and they are completely one in essence. 
And I think why that's so remarkable, and the more I dive into that and the more I I consider that and understand that, it's not that Jesus was just a messenger from God who came and was like, yeah, I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do on their behalf. And God said, good, I'll stay here and watch while you go and do that. No, it's God Himself, just wrapped in flesh, that went to the cross and died for you and for me. When Jesus came, it was God in all of His essence. Everything that you could say about God, you can also say about Jesus. And He came and put on this flesh, this weakness, and died for us. We looked at this verse before in Philippians chapter 2. Having have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, in the very essence of God... He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, as if I'm not willing to let go of that. He's saying he was willing to open his hand. He was willing to let go of everything he was worthy of, of everything he deserved, and he was willing to be made in our likeness. It says he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is God himself, the very essence of who God is in flesh, in Jesus, who went to the cross and died for you. It's it's amazing. It is remarkable. It is unlike anything else in the world. There's no other religion that would tell us that the Godhead that we want to be close to humbled himself so that we could be made right with him. We're unique in that way. And it is remarkable. And that's why I believe in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul exclaims, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Listen, as we go through and we say these phrases of of the the Apostles' Creed, these are essential beliefs that were laid down by by church fathers throughout the ages of the church since Jesus' time. And this this one particular phrase that we're looking at today, or or you could consider them two phrases, but that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, what this sparks in me is just awe. That God himself was willing to be made in the form of a man. Willing to humble himself. And come down and live among us to put on our weaknesses. And then let himself be crucified on the cross. In our place. What an indescribable gift. There is absolutely nothing that I could do in comparison. There is nothing that I could do in response that would be a, a gift in kind. I could give everything that I am and it still not be enough. It is only by the grace of God giving us an indescribable gift that we have any hope for heaven. And so this morning, that's what I wanted to share with you. That when we say that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, He was fully God. His essence was 100% the essence of God. And He died for you and for me. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word. 
that teaches us the truth about who you are. God, I pray that we would let the truth sink in. That you who are worthy to be worshipped, you who are seated in the throne room of heaven, you whose name is above every other name, you who created this world, set all things in motion, that you took on flesh. That Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, our Lord, is you in the flesh. God, forgive us that sometimes we have this image of you in our minds that you somehow are like a cruel father waiting for us to mess up so that you could slap us back into line. That's not who you are. And the truth that you came and you humbled yourself and took on this flesh is evidence above anything else that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross on our behalf, for taking our shame, for taking our punishment, for taking our sin and paying the price for it and then inviting us into your family. God, you have adopted us as your children, loved us as sons and daughters, and you have made every way possible for us to come home. God, I pray that we would live out of that reality you truly love us. That we would understand that your instructions for our life are for our good. And that obedience to you only reaps blessings. Father, I pray that we would, as we heard testimony today, that we would trust you, trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you so that you will make our path straight. Because you love us so much. Lord, thank you for putting on flesh and being our perfect substitute. Thank you, in Jesus' name. As we respond to the Lord this morning, let me just encourage you to remember fresh and new that it is the God who created heaven, who came and put on flesh and went to the cross in your place. And may his overwhelming love, his indescribable gift motivate you to live for him and however he leads you. As we sing this morning, you respond to the Lord.